0: The scripture reading is from Exodus 40, verses 33 through 38, and John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Exodus 40, beginning on page 77 of your Pew Bibles. He set up the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and put up a screen at the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. Now we change to John chapter one, verses nine through 14 on page 862. The true light which enlightens everyone The word became flesh and lived amongst us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Good morning. I want to thank my pastoral colleagues for giving me this text, particularly John 1, verse 14, to preach on today. It's one I grew up on, kind of like whole wheat bread in my family, one my siblings and I memorized as children under the direction of our parents. So it's in my heart. I don't really ever remember learning it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. What is this glory? The word glory shows up twice in this verse. And in English, when we think of glory, we may think of magnificence or great beauty. That's one of the definitions. Doesn't that sound nice? I kind of want that. And if I can't be it, I at least want to experience it. And I think of part of what it means to be human is the desire to experience great beauty and magnificence. This is why we travel to the national parks, right? Why we go to the symphony, maybe? These are experiences of great beauty and magnificence. Transcendence, we might say. We do these things like visit Zion National Park or Notre Dame or listen to Bach's Mass in B minor because we all hunger for glory. I think the hunger for glory is why commercial Christmas is so popular. All that glittery stuff on Pinterest, that's kind of glorious, the Christmas tree maybe. We even have a song about it. Oh Christmas tree, oh Christmas tree. How lovely are thy branches. Right? And it's a true song. Christmas trees are very beautiful. They're especially beautiful when we put ornaments on them. Shimmering brass, maybe, or glitter, or spray paint, and they reflect the light. And then you, you turn the big light off and sit on the couch with someone you love. This is Christmas, right? But if you put your tree up right after Thanksgiving and it's alive, it's probably starting to lose its needles by now. It might have stopped drinking water. The water's sitting stagnant. You know what I'm talking about. And and it's it's probably dead, actually. You'll, You'll pull through the next three days, but come Wednesday, you'll take down the ornaments and lug the tree outside. Let's see here. There we go. And maybe you'll even have a sense of relief. The living room will seem bigger again, and you won't have to vacuum needles every day. And then there is the ornaments, of course. I was at the Goodwill this week, and I saw the old ornaments no one wants anymore. The glitter falls off, and the luminescent paint fades, and the glue turns yellow. The glory fades. We all know this, but we keep doing this every year, putting a tree up. Now, now maybe you're feeling a little sad. You think, Pastor Joy's really down on Christmas trees. And, and I'm not, I put a Christmas tree up with my children yesterday, but let's be real, folks. We hunger for glory and Christmas trees don't cut it. Now, another way we think of glory is high renown or honor won by notable achievements. Is it appropriate to say that Hensdale is a place where there seems to be a lot of glory? I mean, it's kind of like concentrated here. And this isn't bad, but it's real, and we need to name it. A few weeks ago, I sat down in Sunday kids camp with a group of boys, second, third, and fourth grade. We were talking about how God wants to be our friend, and because God is our friend, we can tell him our hopes. And I said to the boys, what are your hopes? And these were their hopes. To be a professional baseball player. To be a professional football player to be a professional gymnast. No one mentioned world peace. And now these are little boys, and I listened, and and then we did. We prayed these hopes to God. But what the boys wanted, I think, really is glory, right? High renown or honor won by notable achievements. I mean, is it worthwhile to be a fantastic baseball player that no one knows about? No one wants that. Do we want to be good at our job without ever getting a raise or a promotion? No. We want the glory. We all hunger for glory. That's part of the human condition. And though none of us here are professional athletes, as far as I know, if you are, please come up later and I'll give you a high five. Um, Many of us have achieved high renown or honor in our work. It's glorious. We're successful business people, many of us, managers, or people with power and prestige and money, and it's glorious. But like our Christmas trees, the glory will fade, will get old, will die. On Ash Wednesday, we receive the ashes and a reminder, dust you are, and to dust you will return. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, no one remembers the former generations, And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Another contemporary poet, Ben Haggerty says it this way. I heard you die twice. Once when they bury you in the grave and the second time is the last time that someone mentions your name. I'm not down on success here, folks. I have ambitions too, but let's be real. We all hunger for glory, but our personal success doesn't cut it. The glory fades, will fade. And I think this is because when we think of glory, whether it's a Christmas tree or fame or success, we think it's about us. We think of glory in relationship to ourselves. But this isn't what it's about. What we learn from the biblical story is that the only glory we can have is the glory of the reflection of God's glory. We cannot manufacture glory. We can only reflect it. Just like Pastor Colby mentioned last week about God being the source of light and life, God is also the source of all glory. The prophet Moses knew this. He knew this and he hungered for God's glory. This man who God describes in numbers as talking to me face to face, Moses had an intimate relationship with God. In the passage from chapter 33 that Pastor Lars read at the call to worship, Moses says, show me your glory. And God replies, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. But you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And then Yahweh gives Moses these instructions to stand in the cleft of the rock. And then Yahweh comes down in the cloud and stands there with him and proclaimed his name. And when God does this, he puts his hand over Moses' face, like a parent shielding his child from a bright light. And then at the end of Exodus, in chapter 40, which was just read for us, we read God's instructions to Moses about setting up the tabernacle, the place of God's presence. And we read how Moses obeys, and then it says, The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. This is the climax of the story. God's present descending and dwelling in the tent, tabernacling, you might say, and then God is present with his people there, the God of glory right there in the tent in the middle of the camp, somewhere out in the wilderness. Can you imagine being that close to God? Knowing that God's glory is right there, they had to be real careful. God's glory, too bright for even Moses to see right there. And this is the story that John is referencing here in verse 14. The Word became flesh and lived among us. We'll go back to that Moses story in a moment. But first, let's look at this, the Word. The Word, in Greek, the logos. This is the same Word that we read about in verse 1 of this passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word. Now, this is a reference to two things simultaneously. First, the word of the Lord that shows up throughout the Hebrew scriptures. The first time we hear of the word of the Lord is in Genesis 15, where we read, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Note that this is a word that Abram sees. It's a vision. This word is not a book. It's not just language, it's not words floating around, it's someone he has witnessed to. That's the first meaning. This also speaks to the Greek audience of his gospel. They understood the logos, the word, to be the ordering power of the universe. And what the author is saying is that this word, Abraham witnessed, and this logos word, they're the same thing, and it becomes flesh. Now, to Greek listeners, this blows their mind, the word became flesh, and it's also kind of repulsive. The word became flesh, because in Greek thought, one's future hope was to die and escape the flesh, to escape the entrapment of the body and float away into the spirit world. But here, the opposite happens. The word becomes flesh. This reality means that, Our bodies, the human body, is good enough for God. Embodied humanity is so much part of God's good design that God becomes human too. And it shows us that this word isn't some unattainable spirit, some distant deist God who sets things in motion and then moves away. No. This word becomes flesh and dwells among us lives dwells moves into the neighborhood as eugene peterson translates in the message so this takes us back to exodus the word here lived in our nrsv bibles is sometimes translated dwelled but really the word is tabernacled and it's an unusual word it's only used five times in the entire new testament mostly in the book of revelation and that's one time here And it's a direct reference to the tabernacling of God in the wilderness, and it means to dwell in a tent. And the word became flesh and dwelled in a tent among us. He's referencing the tabernacle, the seat of God's presence and God's glory. And then we read, we beheld his glory. This is the same glory we heard Moses requesting to see, the same glory that we heard descended into the tabernacle. But this time... You can see it. This is a face you can look at without having your eyes shielded. This too is glory and it's the glory that the that people like the author of the Gospel of John have witnessed, but this time they don't need their eyes shielded because this glory sneaks in, hides out in a stable with unknown parents. If you blink you'll miss this glory, you'll miss it. It's packed into this little 23-word verse. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. It's like the story in Exodus. But this time, rather than only Moses speaking to God face to face, the whole community of people who have interacted with Jesus beheld his glory. We all hunger for glory. I'm wondering if many of us wandered into church today because we were seeking glory. Maybe you didn't articulate it like that, but maybe you sensed it deep in your heart. I mean, it's Advent. It's a time when we're aware of our own longings. And your hunger for the glory might be hunger for glory of the past, you think, or the hope that you have for the future. You're not going to find that that glory is fulfillment, and it's really not glory. You're not going to find that kind of glory here because it doesn't exist. The only glory that you'll find is the glory of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The only source of glory. And though we cannot see Jesus right now with us, he is with us today through the presence of the Holy Spirit before jesus ascended into the heavenly realm he said behold i am with you always even to the very end of the age and this is the glory we can experience now the trees will die our fancy jobs will end we will be disappointed and will disappoint others this christmas but this is what's glorious god is with us now the transcendent God, the one who created the entire cosmos, these galaxies millions of light years away like this one. This God is with us, imminent right here, encamping, tabernacling among us. God wants to have relationship with us so much. He wants to show us who he is in a way we can understand that he becomes human. He doesn't put on a human costume. He doesn't pretend to be human. He becomes fully human inside and out through Jesus. The word became flesh. And he descends here to live with us, to be born, to be an immature child who does cry, contrary to a way in a manger, to be an awkward teenager, to be a young man pondering his vocation, to be a son who disappoints his parents, to be a leader who heals and tells stories, to be angry and weep and have his guts moved with compassion, to preach the kingdom of God is among you, to suffer pain and humiliation like many humans do, to be killed unjustly and to die human. I heard you die twice, once when they bury you in the grave and the second time is the last time that someone mentions your name. Well, Jesus did die once. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And this is the hinge point of our Christian faith. This is why we're here today, Sunday, Resurrection Day. This is the Word becoming flesh and remaining the Word, defeating the powers of sin and death and the Satan. And we celebrate Jesus' glory, not just because he was born. We were all born, we all have been born, right? but because he defeated the powers of evil in his death and resurrection. He ascended to the heavenly realm, the world we don't yet have eyes to see, and he sits in the place of glory beside God the Father. Jesus Christ is the only true source of glory. And there will never be a last time someone mentions his name. God is with us, and we are surrounded by his glory right now. I was reflecting on... 2018 and realize that God has shown his glory to me in many ways this year. Some through the natural world, we can read about this in Psalm 19, witnessing God's glory in the beauty of the wild flowers and moss at Covenant Point Camp, the autumn parade of trees along the shoreline of Lake Michigan when Justin and I, and I sailed on our anniversary. I saw God's glory through the work of human artisans and craftsmen at Saint-Chapelle Chapel in Paris, stained glass and carvings that tell the entire story of God and scripture. I saw God's glory in the life of Jesus as I studied the gospels in seminary this past semester with the guidance of faithful biblical scholars. I saw God's glory in the lives of Sam and Jess, my new niece and nephew, And I experienced God's glory as I sat in meditation, pondering the mystery of Christ in me, hearing his invitation to recognize that every moment is a holy moment because every moment we dwell in the presence of God. Poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning said, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God but only he who sees takes off his shoes. But I think the most glorious moment I experienced this year was at an ordinary church on an ordinary Wednesday night. One of my seminary mentors has a friendship ministry at his church. Friendship ministry is for adults with cognitive developmental differences, and they gather Wednesdays to worship God, to hear a story, to sing, to pray. And we sing simple songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know. We sang, Allelu, 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 Alleluia, praise ye the Lord. You know this song, right? Often children sing it, and the boys and girls, and when you have your part, you stand, and then you sit down. But because of some people's uh, challenge of standing, when it was our turn, we waved our scarf, And I was on the alleluia side, and we were facing the praise ye the Lord side. And so we'd sing, allelu, 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 alleluia. And then the other side would sing, praise ye the Lord. And there was one gentleman. We had honored him for his birthday. He had just turned 73. His name was Greg. And when he got to say, praise ye the Lord, he waved his scarf with all the passion I have ever seen. And he said, praise me the Lord. And I actually think that makes more sense than, we, than ye, if you think about it. Praise me, the Lord. This is the kind of glory that if you blink, you'll miss. And it's not a competition, but I think that Greg probably understands glory far more than I do. He steps into the mystery of the word becoming flesh, tabernacling among us, loving us, and he steps into that tabernacle right into the glory of God Praise me, the Lord. So, this is my question for you today. It's Christmas, almost, and let's get pretty real together. Are you seeing yourself as the source of glory? Do you look at your children, your vocation, your career, your academic achievements, your beauty or the beauty of your home as the source of glory? Now, none of these things are bad in themselves, they're gifts of God, but they are not the true source of glory. And if you seek glory there, my friends, you will be consistently disappointed and over and over and over again. The true source of glory is Jesus, the word becoming flesh, the one that dwells in our midst, even now. And this is the time to recognize the glory in the manger, the glory at the cross, the residue of glory left in the empty tomb. We all hunger for glory, but true glory is only experienced in relationship to the source of glory, Jesus Christ. You will be hungry for glory until you step into the light of the glory that can only come from him. This is what you were made for. Saint Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Today, we're going to have an extended time of singing in response as we worship the God of glory who revealed himself to us in Christ. And there are pastors and prayer ministers available today to pray with you. And I've given some of you spots, so if you want to go to those spots now and then people can see who you are. Um, And then we'll all stand together and sing. And the words will be on the screen. If you felt your heart move today, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That is the movement of the presence of God in your life. And I have invited pastors and prayer ministers to participate today because I've discerned that God is inviting many of us to repent of our belief that we're the source of glory and to turn back to Jesus, the glorified one, to turn to him and say, yes, dwell with me. Be my source of glory because I hunger for glory and nothing I can be or do or have fills it. Don't blink and miss the call of the spirit on your life today. And if you feel yourself moved by the Spirit as we sing, I invite you to make your way to the front. A prayer minister will be ready to pray with you. Maybe this will be a first-time response to God. Or maybe you would like to renew the commitment you made to Jesus long ago. This might take some boldness on your part. It might feel weird, but this is Christmas, folks. This is time to focus on the glory of Jesus, the Word made flesh. It's time to make our way to the manger with Greg. It's time to behold his glory. Praise me, the Lord. Amen.